And we begin our news briefing. Very pleased to be joined here in the studio by An Yu Jung. Yu Jung, good morning to you. Good morning, Henry. Well, thank you very much for joining us. So, Joe Biden is now considered to be the president-elect, basically in most official parts of the United States, including the media, most high-ranking officials, maybe not so among Trump supporters and perhaps mm-hmm. uh, Trump himself. Um, by all accounts, though, the election is over. But as I noted in the opening, it does seem as though despite the calls for unity, the U.S. is uh, more divided than ever. And we may be seeing some signs of that with uh, future clashes and some unrest. Could you tell us more? So Joe Biden has officially been chosen by the American people to be the 46th president of the United States. And with his win, Vice President-elect Kamala Harris has made history as the first woman and first woman of color to be elected for the nation's second highest office. Many celebrated the win, and Biden-Harris supporters took to the streets in Washington, D.C., and Biden's hometown in Delaware to happily shout, you're fired, to current President Donald Trump. Some even gathered outside Trump Hotel and Tower in Chicago, singing and dancing to We Are the Champions. The Trump Tower in New York was cordoned off by police officers as crowds formed to celebrate Biden's win in Trump's hometown. Some even shed tears as they rejoiced at the change of administration after what it seemed like a very long four years. However, it looks like incumbent President Donald Trump will not go down without a fight. Both him and his supporters have been claiming that the Democrats have stolen the election from them and that the race is not yet over. Hours after Biden's projection as winner was announced, Trump released a statement saying, The simple fact is this election is far from over, and that beginning Monday, our campaign will start prosecuting our case in court to ensure election laws are fully upheld and the rightful winner is seated. There's even a virtual war going on on Twitter, with Trump supporters tweeting, hashtag stop the steal, and Biden supporters tweeting, hashtag BidenHarris2020. However, many are worried that the protests may turn violent, as AP has reported many of Trump's supporters are armed and have collided with Biden supporters. Although there have not been yet any physical altercations, the local police are on high alert. As so, many media outlets have been predicting that this may be a messy transition of power and that it may even take a while before Biden's win is actually acknowledged by Trump and his campaign. There is then this expectation, and that's a pretty sad reality of U.S. politics life, that almost nobody expects that Trump is going to be graciously accepting the Mm -hmm. election, that he will not concede the election, and uh, perhaps he may not even uh, do the other ritual things like having a meeting with Biden before the transition takes place and even attending the inauguration, Mm -hmm. which is also uh, a very much uh, centuries-long tradition. And so the sad state of it is that nobody really expected Trump to do it, but it's mm-hmm. still going to be a very unprecedented situation, as you say, for uh, being a sore loser here. You mentioned the protesters and even Trump allies not accepting the results of this election. The problem for them is the legal options have now shrunk because if the initial strategy before was stop the vote, stop the vote, if they are successful in stopping the votes or the so-called the counting of the Mm -hmm. votes, then they basically lose because these states are already called. Uh, If uh, the other strategy was continue the votes in places like Arizona and Nevada, that's another um, probably inconsistent part of the strategy. Mm -hmm. They have to prove fraud now. And and the problem is everyone's been asking Trump, if there is fraud, you got to give us the evidence so we can investigate Mm -hmm. this. But all these court challenges seem to indicate that's going to be very hard to prove. So uh, it's it's difficult for him for, for sure. But uh, we're going to see how difficult he's going to make it for 
the entire country and uh, eventually the rest of the world, which leads us to our next item here, Yu Jung, because the rest of the world certainly seems to have accepted the results of this election. Mm -hmm. If you look at all of the uh, congratulations that have been pouring in from world leaders, and you'll talk about President Moon Jae-in a little later, but our top diplomat, the Foreign Minister Kang Kyung-hwa, also left for Washington, D.C. yesterday. Uh, She is going to be meeting with U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, to discuss ROC-US relations. This is a pre-scheduled meeting, and so uh, we should be aware of that. Tell us more, though, about this bilateral meeting. So Foreign Minister Kang Kyung-hwa was invited by U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo to visit Washington for talks to strengthen the bilateral alliance between the two countries and meet with various congressional people and academics. However, as the Trump administration's term is coming to an end, many predict that substantial talks or agreements to further the country's relationships will not be feasible. Kang addressed reporters at Incheon Incheon International Airport and commented that although the current South Korea-U.S. relations are going through somewhat of a tense and sensitive period, they are always communicating and stated that regardless of the timing, if an opportunity arises to discuss issues related to the peace on the Korean peninsula, she will take the opportunity. To do so. It does. And we alluded to this, I think, last week, where uh, if the election was going to go the way that a lot of people expected, that mm-hmm. this meeting with Pompeo would essentially be a lame duck meeting, right? Mm-hmm. With Pompeo uh, only about 70 days left in his job, because nobody uh, expects he will be Secretary of State uh, in the next administration, that it would be kind of more of a farewell meeting, like mm-hmm. uh, how, what are your future plans, and, <laughs> and kind of the nice... Uh, cordial sort of goings-ons between the two diplomats. Uh, there was another meeting scheduled between uh, Lee Do-hoon, the North Korean envoy from mm-hmm. South Korea, with uh, his counterpart Stephen Began, Assistant Secretary of State, and that will also probably be a lame duck meeting. So then the question, Yu Jung, is what would Kang Kyung-hwa have to do to have tangible meetings with actual people who will be in power for the next four years? So the speculation was on whether or not she would meet with anybody from the Biden team. How are things looking on that end? So usually when a candidate becomes a president-elect, the diplomatic authorities in each country work to organize how the new administration will carry out its foreign affairs and reach out to get in contact with them. Minister Kang is set to meet with key members of the parliament, academics from various think tanks, to ask for continued support and cooperation on the U.S. side to advance the peace process on the Korean peninsula and strengthen South Korea-U.S. alliances. It is most likely that in this process, she will meet with those that are expected to assume key diplomatic and security positions in the Biden administration. Right. And I know in your day job, uh, you are going through a flurry of activity because we're going to be lining up these segments to go and talk about Mm -hmm. uh, all of those issues in regards to the Korean Peninsula uh, with a new Biden administration. What does that mean for trade? What does that mean for uh, defense ties? What does that mean for North Korea policy? And those are all things that will be discussed depending on, as you say, which key members of Biden Biden's team are now going to take up these uh, various spots, whether it's Secretary of State, whether it's the uh, North Korea envoy situation, and uh, and the trade minister, and whatnot. And certainly, uh, as those get colored in, we'll Mm -hmm. have a clearer idea. I think one of the other aspects of how uh, it is such a difficult task for Trump to try to uh, reverse the results of this election, um, besides the court battle, is the idea that the PR battle as to whether he's considered the winner or loser certainly is turning decisively another direction. And they have basically opened the Pandora's box where all of the world leaders around the world now are 
offering congratulations to Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to kind of close that up again <laughs> uh, should these results um, in a very small uh, chance get reversed. Uh, one of those leaders is, of course, President Moon Jae-in mm-hmm. offering his congratulations to President-elect Joe Biden as well as Vice President-elect Kamala Harris. Uh, It does seem, though, this is interesting because I guess this is another way we can say there's a legacy left behind by Mm -hmm. Donald Trump Mm -hmm. is that he actually decided to use Twitter for the congratulations instead of the more formal diplomatic channels. Yes, that's right. So President Moon Jae-in opted for a celebration on Twitter congratulating Joe Biden and Kamala Harris while emphasizing that our alliance is strong and the bond between our two countries is rock solid. I very much look forward to working with you for our shared values. President Moon is expected to engage in formal summit diplomacy with Biden after Trump admits and accepts his defeat in the presidential election. It's pretty interesting how Moon decided to use Twitter. But if you look on Twitter, almost every other world leader had also decided to use Twitter Mm -hmm. for that. Uh, Macron had a Twitter message, uh, Merkel, uh, Justin Trudeau, all of these uh, world leaders uh, used Twitter to offer the congratulations. And it it almost subconsciously feels like there was a subtle sort of uh, hint that it was was intentionally done to show Trump because right. he's so on Twitter right. all the time. So now is... he's seeing all the world leaders offer those congratulations mm-hmm. uh, rather than through the typical diplomatic channels, which he may not even pay attention to. Yeah. So again, more indication that the writing is on the wall mm-hmm. uh, for Trump. Now, I, I, I guess we're kind of all segueing with these topics with the uh, U.S. presidential election being the major story. Uh, but uh, one of the motivations for voters... at least we thought, was that uh, Biden was going to be considered to be the better leader for the Mm COVID-19 response. As um, I would say the consensus around the world is that uh, the Trump administration has uh, been largely incompetent in trying to deal with COVID-19. And we're seeing cases there that are just uh, amazing now in terms of the growth. They're getting closer to 130,000. Some people say maybe even 200,000 Uh, new infections per day in the U.S., which is is very uh, worrisome indeed. Here in Korea, as we look at the COVID-19 situation, um, there are some areas of concern, certainly, uh, if you look at it comparatively to other countries, maybe not as bad, but uh, there does seem to be a worrisome trend. Mm -hmm. Uh, We recently introduced the new five-tier social distancing scheme that officially went into effect this weekend. We did not see an upgrade in uh, the metropolitan area. Mm-hmm. We're still at level one, which you'll talk about. But the health minister, Park Nung-woo, seems to be indicating that uh, it is more likely than not that uh, we will get upgraded to a 1.5 perhaps, right? Mm-hmm. Health Minister Park Nung-woo commented at yesterday's press briefing that the speed of the virus spreading is actually faster than the health authorities' ability to track them down. He assessed that although the current metropolitan area is operating under Level 1 social distancing regulations, it may see an upgrade to Level 1.5 as the average number of newly confirmed daily cases have been on the rise. The average number of confirmed patients over the last week was 88.7 people, which was 1.8 more than the previous week. And the number of elderly patients over the age of 60 averaged at 25.8, which was 3.1 more than the previous week. Park said that the government is aiming to keep the current number of daily confirmed patients in the country to double digits, meaning less than 100 local transmissions, and the number of patients who are 60 or older to less than 40. 
He added that with the current trend we're seeing in the metropolitan areas, which is averaging about 65.4 people per day, the risk of upgrading its social distancing scheme to 1.5 is getting bigger by the day. Right. So uh, it does appear, and we'll see what the numbers look at uh, in terms of the, uh, the daily 10 o'clock in the morning Uh, results uh, that uh, we are still kind of hovering in that 100 range. Sometimes we jump all the way up Mm -hmm. to 140, uh, but it averages out to something that's in the three figures. And it looks like here in Seoul, at least, uh, 1.5 is becoming more and more uh, a a new reality. Now, uh, all the other countries around the world who have been struggling with the uptick in cases have to now uh, deal with the uh, risk of foreign arrivals. Seoul is no uh, exception to this. China, which is the initial epicenter, Uh, And they've been putting a pretty good handle on the situation, but they are concerned about overseas visitors, and it looks like they're going to make it a little bit more difficult to enter their country. Yes, that's right. So Chinese authorities have put in place stricter restrictions and regulations as they saw an increase in the number of overseas transmissions recently. Starting Wednesday, anyone going to China from Korea must get tested twice for COVID-19 before they get on board. Right. So you're going to have to get tested twice. Obviously, you have to test negative twice Mm -hmm. uh, for the COVID-19 virus before you get on a plane to China. And we have to talk about that this is a very small minority of people. I don't think anyone's going to go to Shanghai for Mm -hmm. a weekend uh, vacation, uh, especially if you have to come back and get the uh, 14-day quarantine quarantine. regulation. Mm -hmm. So it's either um, business people who have actual urgent need to go there Mm -hmm. and probably people like students who are studying abroad and have no other choice but to uh, be physically In China, but that being said, the Chinese authorities certainly know that uh, to control the spread, especially in their big country, they're going to have to keep their borders under control, uh, and uh, Korea will have to also abide by those regulations. Mm-hmm. Let's talk politics now. Here, um, the the opposition won a big victory in the U.S. as far as the presidency is concerned. Questions are here in Korea. Does the opposition have a chance for their upcoming uh, big elections? Right now, immediately would be the uh, by elections in. Seoul and Busan for next year, April. Uh, There are some, I guess, uh, pessimistic voices that say that they don't have a good shot, including minor opposition People Party leader An Chol-su. This is, uh, of course, again, different from the People's Power Party. This is a very minor opposition party. Uh, He has now said, we need a brand new party as part of the opposition party's reform measures. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't mean just slapping a new name and new logo and new colors, but he, he means a reorganization of the entire opposition structure. Uh, that would then, uh, of course, take power away from the right now main opposition people power party. Mm-hmm. And so as we can expect, that's not been received well by the interim chief of the PPP, uh, Kim Jong-in. He doesn't seem very interested in that idea. Mm-hmm. At a closed-door discussion after the National Future Forum last week, People's Party leader An Chol-su said that if things continue the way they are right now, the opposition's party have a very low chance at winning the sole mayoral position at next year's by-election. He commented in his opinion that the only way for them to have a chance would be by reorganizing the opposition parties and forming a brand new political party, as you mentioned. He said that the opposition needs to get rid of the stigma against the opposition party and expand their support base. 
To this, PPP chief Kim Jong-in criticized Ahn for only coming up with empty and vague promises without any substantial measures to actually change the government. PPP spokesperson Bae Jun-yeon commented that as a platform responsible for change and reform will inevitably become their party, as they are the main opposition Mm. party, they must work together to um, currently reform the ruling party and the government. It's interesting that the the liberal arguments uh, and criticisms against An Chesu are echoed by uh, the conservative argument mm-hmm. uh, from the PPP chief with Kim Jong Un, basically saying, "An, you say a lot of things, but really you, you're never taking a firm stand, and it's always kind of lacking the details." That's always been sort of a, a label that's been pasted on An Chesu. An Chesu's point has been that, and I think there is a val- valid aspect to it, mm-hmm. is that he kept mentioning how. Uh, with the opposition, there is a sense of pihogam or like uh, distaste uh, mm-hmm. to opposition figures. And I think he would probably have to include himself in that. And to change that, he's, he's saying you need a brand new sort of formation. Problem being is he is probably talking along the lines that he would have a much bigger say in mm-hmm. that new mm-hmm. formation. His party is a very small party with only four uh, members in parliament right now. So the PPP, with you know, despite their reduced numbers, are still a hundred member strong bloc and by far the biggest opposition force. They would not necessarily want to share that power mm-hmm. with Anchesu. I think the uh, tug of war is on you come into our party with your tiny coalition and we'll try to fit you in mm-hmm. rather on saying you all guys kind of break yourselves up and then mm-hmm. form this new thing probably under uh, my leadership and that's uh, why we're seeing that uh, power struggle uh, go on right now and that probably is going to continue to go forward uh, before they feel the candidate uh, for the sole mayoral uh, race mm-hmm. next year. We're going to talk about some of the pressing issues because the Seoul race is certainly going to be tense. Uh, Some people feel, although there's pessimism by the opposition side, that this could be relatively a close election. And one of the main reasons for doing that would be a dissatisfaction among Seoul residents in regards to real estate Mm -hmm. policy. And the government has been doing everything they can. They keep rolling out policy after policy in terms of trying to curb speculation and high prices. Now they are planning to set out a separate unit that will uh, apparently analyze and monitor real estate market disturbances, particularly with, I guess, iffy transactions. Could you tell us more? So according to the National Assembly, ruling Democratic Party lawmaker Jin Sung-jun proposed a bill of laws on the real estate transactions and the real estate services industry in consolation with the Ministry of Land, Infrastructure and Transport. This bill details the composition and functions of the new unit for analyzing real estate transactions. The organization will be under the Ministry of Land, Infrastructure and Transport and will be in charge of monitoring and analyzing various real estate transactions and or possible illegal activities. They will be given the authority to receive related information from agencies like the National Tax Service, Financial Supervisory Service, and the police. They have added that it will punish and ban the distribution of fake information in online communities, as well as unfair advertising and collusion in housing prices. Yeah, we, we keep talking about Kongsucho, right? This independent uh, investigative commission on high-ranking officials. This is almost like you could say, uh, you know, it's, it's apples and oranges, but it's almost mm-hmm. like a Kongsucho for Real estate Mm, estate. speculators, Mm. right? So uh, if there's any fishy transaction, for example, um, someone buying an apartment in the Gangnam area, I guess it would be more closely scrutinized Mm -hmm. because this uh, commission or this agency would then say, that looks suspicious, but we might not have the power to be able to look into how suspicious it is. But now they can get documents from the tax service, mm-hmm. from the financial supervisory service, and maybe even get the police involved in that transaction. So uh, you, if you are uh, intending to 
do real estate speculation, would probably have to be mindful now that mm-hmm. the, the authorities won't be just turning a blind eye or at least overlook it because they couldn't get the details of that. All right, y u j u n g we got one more story to go here, and this is something to help the bottom line of people who are uh, burdened by monthly bills, particularly with mobile data. Uh, data prices are set to be decreased by 25% next year, according to a government plan. That means they're going to try to lower the price for one megabyte of data to 2.341. Details, please. According to the Ministry of Science and ICT's budget plans for next year that they submitted to the National Assembly, the ministry is aiming to lower the average rate per unit of data next year. The average rate per data unit is calculated by taking into consideration the annual data revenue of the big three mobile carriers, which is divided then by the annual data uses, usage of all of its users. Last year, it was 3.11 per megabyte, and the ministry is planning to lower its price to 2.34, as you've mentioned, from the currently lower 2.831. Their initiative is in line with the launch of medium-priced plans for fifth-generation or 5G mobile phones, the lowered um, wholesale prices for affordable phones or a l t e r phone, and the trend-based average rate drop. KT announced last month that it will launch a 5G save plan that will provide 5 gigabytes of data for only 45,000 won per month. With a 25% discount, it could go as low as 30,000 won per month. Per month. And SK Telecom also announced that they are considering a 5G low-cost plan to match the trend in a competitive marketplace and also satisfy customer needs. All right. Well, hopefully that does result in some savings for all of us. Yu Jung? Wonderful job. Thank you very much. And we hope to talk to you again soon. Thank you for having me.